Section 25 of Charles II by Osmondary. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 4 Charles, Louis, and Parliament. Part 4. The Treaty of London, February 19, 1674, closed England's European history so far as active war was concerned but it gave ample opportunities for a further exhibition of the political profligacy with which we have become familiar the agents of the king of england remained at cologne to work for france the english troops who were serving in louis's armies were not withdrawn charles allowed louis to recruit in ireland and scotland while at the same time he refused william the like privilege he continually furnished him with ammunition and guns gave him the benefit not only of his own observations and experiments in shipbuilding but also of those of the persons about him most skilful in that art and betrayed to him the information he received from temple in an interview with ruvigny and through lockhart who was still ambassador at paris charles deprecated his cousin's wrath as he had done at the time of the triple alliance he went even farther on february fourteenth he himself wrote to louis asking him for pity rather than blame the reply was full of fine irony je ne puis que je ne compatisse à la peine que vous souffrez et à la nécessité où vous vous trouvez de faire sans moi une paix que nous devait être commune je vous en plains au lieu de m'en plaindre one belated victory was achieved after peace had been declared in january sixteen seventy five a redoubtable antagonist trompe came to england and among other places visited oxford and bishop prideaux tells us how we got a greater victory over van trompier than all your sea captains in london he confessing that he was more drunk here than anywhere else since he came to england dr speed and five or six more as able men as myself were no doubt good drinkers but we question whether they could have forced tromp's old rival monk to so ignominious a confession de comminges thus ends his description of a supper given by the earl of oxford at which that veteran toper was present having been warmed by their morning and after-dinner doings each resolved to see his companion aground the general struck a master-stroke he presented to each a goblet of the deepest some swallowed the contents and some did not but all peaceably remained where they were till the following morning without speaking to each other though in the same room only the general went to parliament as usual with his mind and thoughts nothing impaired we must now travel back over two years to follow the fortunes of the cabal and of charles at home the subsidies of louis and the stop of the exchequer had enabled him to dispense with parliament until february sixteen seventy three when he at length faced the houses he was puzzled how to save his own honour to the world and gratify those who can only give him a supply against his enemies assuming a tone of confidence he put lightly aside the question of the standing army of eighteen thousand men and gave his usual assurances to the church then trusting to waive all attack upon the declaration of indulgence by a strong expression of his personal will he ended his reference to it with the words 
and I will deal plainly with you, I am resolved to stick to my declaration. The mind of the commons had been made up before they met. They attacked neither the stop of the exchequer nor the war, nor individual members of the cabal, but without hesitation they took up the challenge thus thrown down. The question at issue was a simple one. Granting that the king had power to pardon crime in individual cases, had he the power to license crime by dispensing with law? The declaration broke through forty acts of parliament, repealable by parliament alone. The first debate closed with a vote that penal statutes in matters ecclesiastical cannot be suspended but by act of parliament. The commons next resolved that no one refusing the oaths or the sacrament according to the Anglican rites should be capable of holding office under the crown. And this, although as Marvel wrote, it appears at first sight that men ought to enjoy the same propriety and protection in their consciences which they have in their lives, liberties, and estates. Charles appealed to the Lords for advice. On March 7th, they joined the Commons in desiring him to give full effect to their vote pressed to yield by arlington and shaftesbury by louis who saw that without parliamentary supplies the king would be driven to peace and by the women whose sources of wealth were endangered by obstinacy urged on the other hand by buckingham and lauderdale to stand firm charles wavered from day to day on wednesday he had resolved to yield on the thursday he was equally determined to dissolve and make peace on the Friday he had finally given way to the arguments of Colbert, and on March 8th he cancelled the declaration, to which only a month previously he had declared his fixed resolve to adhere. The commons pressed hard upon the king's withdrawal and turned it into utter defeat. Three weeks later he gave his assent to the Test Act, which made it impossible for a Catholic to hold any office under the crown, and then a supply of nearly one million two hundred and fifty thousand pounds was granted without a protest for at last the victory had been won and the conquerors were not inclined to haggle about money from this moment charles abandoned all attempt to secure parliamentary favour for the proscribed creed james resigned his post of lord high admiral the second part of clifford's horoscope was fulfilled he laid down the treasurership, went into strict retirement, and shortly died, it was reported by his own hand, of the disappointment of his hopes. From this moment also Charles appears to have ceased to take the least interest in domestic politics, except when they assumed a personal aspect. He continued to be his own foreign minister, that is, he continued to depend upon Louis the Fourteenth for supplies of money, which were given upon conditions to which he had no objection. But he left all domestic matters to the sole and unquestioned control of Clifford's successor, Thomas Osborne, created Earl of Danby. Danby had been introduced into public life by Clifford, and had been one of the younger members of the anti-Clarendon gang. He had since attached himself closely to Buckingham. He was a man of clear views, independent character, and marked ability and through his incontestable usefulness as a financial minister he secured abiding influence over the king 
the commons might triumph the people might cry out for peace and that with some earnestness lord treasurers might commit suicide soldiers might mutiny fleets might be defeated but the world went well with charles he spent a good deal of time in devising many pretty projects to enlarge the little park at filbert's and make it more fit for deer he was delighted equally with a present of jackdaws and with the gift by louis of the duchy of aubigny to louise de Carouaille. he had been able to find agreeable lodgings for poor nelly who had complained that she had no house of her own and when parliament was not sitting he was able to ignore the test act as he pleased the truth is this year the government begins to thrive marvellous well for it eats and drinks and sleeps as heartily as i have known it nor doth it vex and disquiet itself with that foolish idle impertinent thing called business unavoidable vexations only serve to emphasize the generally comfortable aspect of affairs the duchess of cleveland was found to be with child by mulgrave louise de Kerouaille had requested charles for sufficient reasons to discontinue his visits for a time and danby had refused to pass a gift of ten thousand pounds to her charles had heard that when parliament met one of the bears intended to be brought to the stake at the great baiting was his beautiful paramour his grace of lauderdale worst of all signor scaramuccio and his band had begged his majesty's leave to return their affairs requiring their presence at home this last anxiety which after all proved groundless was forgotten in the great preparation at the duke's house for an opera they will have dancers out of france and saint andre comes over with them who is to have a pension of the king one matter of state was hurriedly concluded during the recess in order that it might be beyond recall when parliament next met ever since the death of anne hyde in sixteen seventy james had been looking for a second wife his choice at length lay between maria sister of the duke of modena and daughter of mazarin's niece laura martinozzi and her aunt leonora fifteen years older so doubtful was it which would be chosen that in the instructions to peterborough who went as james's proxy the name was actually left blank to be filled up by him as circumstances might decide while each courier from england brought letters which contradicted those last received the desire of both princesses to become nuns caused delay and it was not until september fourteenth sixteen seventy three that the urgency of peterborough the influence of louis the paternal direction of the pope and the prospect of aiding in the conversion of england overcame the scruples of maria who had been finally selected the proxy marriage took place on september thirtieth but the arrival of the princess was delayed by illness until november twenty first maria then only fifteen had been educated in the strictest seclusion so innocently bred that till then she had never heard of such a place as england nor of such a person as the duke of york the descriptions of her person are as various as the describers conway struck the mean between peterborough's enthusiastic admiration of her charms and mademoiselle de montpensier's shrewish description of her as une grande créature melancolique ni belle ni laide 
fort maigre, assez jaune. When he wrote, she hath very good eyes, very good features, and a very good complexion, but she wants the air that would set off all this, and having been bred in a monastery, knows not how to set one foot before another with any gracefulness. She was, however, by no means uncultured. She was a good Latin scholar and had studied French as well, and within a year and a half of her marriage she spoke English with ease. She was simple, pure, charitable, and kind. Her only failing, says that refreshing person Charlotte Elizabeth in later years, was her extreme piety. To Parliament the marriage was intensely unpopular, for Maria's devotion to Catholicism was well known. The king had already been twice addressed to prevent the consummation of the proxy marriage. But all classes shared the jealousy. Should she arrive tonight, November 5th, she would most certainly be martyred. For the common people here, and even those of quality in the country, believe she is the Pope's eldest daughter. No congratulations were offered by the courtiers to the Duke. Libelous songs were published about the innocent girl, though it was hoped her sweet carriage would have abated her enemies. Her mother was openly insulted by the ladies of the court. The Lord Mayor refrained from paying a civic visit of compliment, nor would the city be brought to make bonfires. The people we read still on all occasions express their aversion to this match. She had other lessons to learn. Before she had been two months married, her husband had already made his visits to Mrs. Churchill. We hear, however, that she improved rapidly in looks and bearing after a few months, and there is no doubt that before very long, she had acquired a complete ascendancy over James's affections, partly no doubt through the fervor of her religious sympathy. His later devotion may be measured by the fact that when he was at the spring meeting at Newmarket in 1680, he rode to London and back on successive days merely to spend the evening in her company. The marriage of James, a marriage known to have been arranged in deference to the personal wishes of Louis, not only opened up the prospect of a long Catholic succession, but expressed in a concrete form the alliance of Charles with France and Catholicism. It was, however, but one of many causes which accounted for the fighting mood in which Parliament met on October 20th, 1673. The open evasion of the Test Act during the recess, and the flaunting of Papists in Whitehall, the dark hovering of the army at Blackheath, commanded by a foreigner and largely officered by Catholics, the fever pitch to which the national jealousy against the French had been aroused by the belief, which was sedulously encouraged by Rupert, angry and raging, and by every captain and sailor who came back from the war, that the backwardness of the French squadrons had been due to the desire of Louis to see the two great naval powers destroy one another's strength, the demand of Louis that Catholic churches should be established in the conquered Dutch towns, all these things led to a rising tide of passion against which the wrathing of a few leading members of the old opposition availed but little. When it appeared farther that four hundred thousand pounds had been given away since the last session, of which the duchesses of Cleveland and Portsmouth had had the greater share, it is not surprising to read 
that the most influential members of the country party rose in succession to urge a refusal of supplies until grievances were redressed here is money asked of us to carry on a war we were never advised about and what we have given is turned to raising of families and not to paying the king's debts the member who declared that the army had not been raised for the war but the war made for raising an army was nearer to the truth than he probably knew in the end sir william coventry came with his subtle ally to make the votes pass in these words not to grant any supply till the eighteen months tax were expired unless the obstinacy of the hollanders should make it necessary and this at last we were glad to swallow passing then to evil counsellors they had just uttered lauderdale's name when they were prorogued until january seventh sixteen seventy four even at that date it was understood that if the king of france furnishes our king with a million of our money besides our salary then parliament will not meet the commons were not without scandals of their own which vividly illustrate the laxity of public morals the speaker edward seymour was violently attacked sir thomas littleton began the assault will harbert seconded it and accused him of gaming and playing great sums of the public money as appeared by the marks of the bags and to make up the matter at night a mean whore brought a bastard to his door and charged it upon him which drew five hundred people about his house to learn the matter charles was forced by his necessities to let the houses assemble on january seventh the appointed day and this time he did not hesitate to meet them with a gross and deliberate lie to remove their suspicions he said he would lay his treaties with france in their completeness before a small committee of both houses and he added i assure you there is no other treaty with france either before or since which shall not be made known the treaty which he showed was however the second treaty of dover the traite simule which had been executed afresh in february sixteen seventy two in order that parliament might be the better deceived the real treaty of june first sixteen seventy the traite de madame with the damning article which provided for the announcement of the king's conversion and the subsidy of louis for that purpose remained in darkness until unearthed by dalrymple more than a century later we are almost disappointed with charles when we find him betraying embarrassment though the presence of arlington who knew of the real treaty is some explanation i beseech your excellency wrote conway to essex to consider the last part of the king's speech it was the consultation of many days and nights that produced it he fumbled in delivering it and made it worse than in the print yet there you may observe tis incoherent and all this is for fear of the duke of york the fraud availed little the houses went steadily on with the work which had been interrupted by the prorogation and they were now under guidance which rendered them doubly formidable shaftesbury had during the recess been dismissed and as colbert remarked a discarded minister who was very ill-conditioned and clever left perfectly free to act and speak seems to me much to be feared in this country since the cancelling of the declaration shaftesbury's sympathies had never been with the court 
he had already been in close communication with william of orange he now did credit to colbert's remark by organizing a regular opposition in the lords the members of which halifax hollis and buckingham being the most influential met frequently at hollis's house to arrange the plan of attack the downfall of danby and the prevention of the evils of a catholic succession were their immediate objects End of section 25.